The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. Yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had unclean spirit immediately heard about him. And she came and, down, and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For saying that you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went by way of Sidon towards the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. He took him aside in private, away from the crowd, and put his fingers into his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Epitha, that is, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astounded beyond measure, saying, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite stories to tell begins with a man, and upon his retirement, he moves to a small town. He's done well in life and he wants to enjoy the, some of the success of his hard work. And so he gets out of bed one day and he's about to go through his daily routine and he's kind of scratching his face and he's like, you know, I, I've done all right in life. Maybe I make enough money now that I don't have to shave myself. I'll go down to the barber and let him shave me for now on. And so. He goes down to the barber and he is in a small town where it just so happens that the barber is also the preacher. Reminds me of a, another a book, a Wendell Berry story. Um, he's out there and, the, and it happens to be that the preacher is out visiting shut-ins. So his wife Grace is there and she goes, you know, well, I usually just do the shaves. So why don't you sit down and I'll shave you. 
And so he sits down, and she's shaved, and, and, she, and, he, and he finishes, and he goes, you know, how much do I owe you? $40. So I mean, it's expensive, but, you know, maybe I'll have to get a shave every other day. So he pays grace, and he goes on his way, and the next morning he wakes up, and he's sitting there. He's like, man, I feel pretty good. Maybe that was worth it. Well, the next day he wakes up, and he's like, God, I'm still just as smooth as the day before. Third day he wakes up. God, I feel like a baby's bottom. This is incredible. i got to go figure out what's going on. So he, he heads down there, and he's perplexed, and he walks into the barbershop, and this time the preacher's there. And he asked the man why his face was as smooth as it was the first day that it was shaven. And the kind old pastor responds, friend, you were shaved by grace. And once you've been shaved by grace, you'll never need to be shaved again. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> it's bad. I hadn't used it on y'all yet, so I had, to, I had to get that out there. Today's a little special. You notice we've moved from green to white just for the day. It's not something that is normally done. Uh, but in a moment, we're going to gather around this font. And we're going to take Jack and Jamie and Hayden, and we're going to make promises on their behalf. And we're going to say that Christ has marked them, has sealed them with the Holy Spirit has established a bond with them. In the words of the prayer book, that bond is indissoluble. It is eternal. It is forever. It means that God loves y'all forever. And there is nothing that you can do that will change that means that you're a full member in this community and that everything that this community has to offer is open to you. Jack's clapping. I mean, he knows that it's good news. I couldn't time that any better. Uh, everything is open to y'all. You are loved unconditionally in a full part of this community. It's the most powerful thing that we do together is to remind people that they are loved forever. Many of y'all know I have a, a six-year-old and a four-year-old, and so I can only watch, Shannon, I can only watch so many episodes of Power Rangers or Barbies or um, Aquanauts before I lose my mind. And so we're trying to do something a little bit more fun, and um, Friday night, Jack wants to watch a movie, and, and Ann and I are looking through there, and we decide, we're looking at the old classics, the movies that we loved when we were growing up. I'm like, awesome, this is a perfect time to introduce Jack to E.T. We, we put Bailey to bed because we have some standards. We're not going to allow her to watch E.T., the S Steven Spielberg classic about um, a young boy who, who encounters this extraterrestrial that, that comes down and he builds this incredibly beautiful bond. And... I didn't even realize, I think there's some Christian undertones, the alien um, is, is wants to go home and is lacking love and he dies and, and, and Elliot is sitting there above, uh, above E.T. And, and, and crying and mourning the death and E.T. resurrects and comes back and there's this scene at the end when the whole family 
um, all of Elliot's family are watching E.T. go back to his home. And what strikes me at this point is, I'll let you know just how soft I am. Anne, Anne's on the far end of the couch, and Jack's in the middle, and I'm on the, on the left side, and, and we're all sitting there on the edge of our seats, and, and there's, it's just, it's, you know, Steven Spielberg, he's, he, he knows how to elicit emotion, and we've got tears in our eyes, and Jack, I mean, Jack has tears in his eyes. He knows, and, and, and he knows how much that the E.T. and that family love each other. What strikes me is even at six years old, even at six years old, he may not have the language to verbalize and communicate what is going on, but he knows the power of love. At the earliest of our ages, it is the, it's something that is embedded in all of us. We understand love. We understand commitment. And we understand when we're faced with loss just what that means. It's because it is the most powerful thing that we have ever experienced in our lives. And while we don't all share the same experiences, families are complicated, some more than others. What we do know from the youngest of ages, we know the value of love and connection of hope and that emotion. The promise in baptism, regardless of what we're experiencing in our lives, the promise in baptism is that the purest form of love is what God has for each of us. Now each of us know, we know our own corners and crags of the human soul. We know what others don't. We know how broken we are. And it's, so it's far too easy to reject that love, to walk away from that love, and to forget that that love is trying to transform our lives, wanting to make us more loving of others, more forgiving, more accepting and compassionate. I hate the reading from Mark, and I have for a long time. I, I don't like the language that Jesus uses. He seems to be calling the Syrophoenician woman a dog, or at least comparing her to that. It is not the image of Christ that I want to remember. But one of the interesting things, when I was in seminary, um, usually the early service in a church is one that uses the right one language, which comes from the 1928 prayer book. And the writers of that language, they had taken a prayer and, and actually kind of where we have our prayer that we say, the Celtic prayer that welcomes people to the table, in a right one service, you have this opportunity to say the prayer for humble access. And what struck me when I was reflecting on this reading this week is I think that the writers of that prayer were shaped and impacted by this reading. And that prayer goes like this. We do not presume to come to your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but to you, Lord, whose nature is always to have mercy. Nature always to have mercy. 
Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. I've been wondering, and it's not that this is really what Jesus was thinking, but I have to kind of try to, try to wrestle with his language. I have to wonder if it's not that Jesus views her as less than others, but maybe thinks that she views herself in that self-deprecating way, that when he calls her in the way that she sees herself, she is forced to wrestle with the potential impossibility for grace. And precisely because she sees herself so much lower than others, as a dog to other children, she understands something about the condition of God's grace that is extended without a hierarchy, a free gift that demolishes social order and unifies the human family. It is the nature of God. It is the nature of God to love us, even when we don't deserve it. That is the powerful truth of Christianity. Our lives, no matter the extent of brokenness, shame, and guilt, we can feel at moments in our lives. We are loved by the God whose nature it is to extend that love to us. That love that is promised to y'all. That is the nature of God. May we all have the grace to let that love transform us so that we may gather up the crumbs under the table. May we see ourselves elevated and lifted up into a relationship with God. And may we share that love with others who need to know the good news of God in Christ. Amen.